Hi, this is Sean Benson from Harvest Church in Warrensburg, Missouri. I want to thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. For more resources, log on to harvestwarrensburg.com. So I like to do to you guys things that I don't like done to me. So, haha. Um, who can tell me what the vision of Harvest is? Say it louder. Transformed people, transforming communities. All right? What does that really mean? Transformed also means renovations, right? So people who are becoming something new, right? If I'm renovating my kitchen, it's going from the old and it's turning into something new, right? And there's a process. It doesn't happen overnight, unfortunately, right? And it's usually a little bit of a messy process, right? It's a messy process. Whenever you remove your kitchen from the house that you're living in, it's messy, right? I've told you the story. My dad had to come and help fix our uh, old 1800s home, and he removed the only bathroom we had while we lived there. It's messy. Messy, right? It's messy. Renovation's messy, you know? And so what we've been talking about over the last few weeks have just been setting this the, kind of the, the foundation, what we call the, our, our core values here at Harvest. And, and we are doing it from the understanding of transformed people, transforming communities. So we talked about originally the Father heart of God. And it talks about who he is toward us, right? How he is, who he's not, right? He's not an angry God who's constantly trying to punish us and shoot lightning bolts at us, right? But instead he's calling us to him because he's called the Father. He's a good father, right? And then we moved into family, which is also talking about who we are, right? Who we are as the body of Christ. What does that look like? How do we function together as a family and all that stuff? Um, Bud, could you pop those blinds up just a little bit? I'm literally getting blinded. I keep trying to find a safe spot on the stage and there's not one. Thank you. That seems to be better. Um, And so so we moved in last week to, to honor, to talk about honor. And Sean started off last week, and he talked a lot about the way that we need to view people, not just other Christians, but pre-Christians, right? How do we view the world? How do we look at people? The people who maybe we don't feel like are a great investment for God. How do we view them? How do we respond to them. And he talked a lot about value. Remember? So we're, we're quite a few of you guys here. Raise your hand if you were here last week. Okay, great. So for many of you, you'll catch on with kind of what he was talking about. He was talking just about valuing other people. If Christ and spilled his priceless blood for the world, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? So, and it's for whosoever believes in him. That means anyone who chooses to believe in him. So God spilled his blood for the whole world, and those who choose to believe in him come into salvation, right? So we have this idea of of Christians, people who have stepped into this thing called salvation, and then I would say we have pre-Christians, people who don't quite understand what happened yet, but it's already happened for them. Does that make sense? Christ has already spilled his blood for them. They just aren't aware of it yet. They don't comprehend it yet. It's not part of their nature. It's not part of who they are. 
all right? So we don't want to call them heathens, right? Because they're priceless, right? That, the word heathen doesn't really equal priceless, does it? No, but they're loved, they're valued, they're chosen. They've been, God, has, God has shed his blood for them, and so the way that we view them matters. The way that we talk to them, the way that we treat everybody in our sphere, whether Christian or pre-Christian, matters, right? Because the way that God sees them is valuable, right? So, so I think that we, we want to look at that. Like We say that we're talking about honor, but then we talk about value. And the reason why is because of this. This is the definition of honor. It's to regard, or this specific part, is to regard or treat someone with respect because of their worth. If they were worthy of the spilled blood of Jesus, not because of something they did, but because Jesus said they were worthy, right? The value of something is what the person's willing to pay for it. That's what he, Sean talked about last week. He talked about buying a Corvette, and he was saying, you know, the value is worth what you will pay for it. If you have no value for a sports car, you're not going to think that the car is worth what people are, the price tag that's on it, Right? But people who love a sports car recognize the value and they're willing to pay for it. Jesus recognized the value of the world and he paid for it. And he bought it with the most expensive thing that you can buy it with, right? So last week we had a couple people actually try to ruin this week's message by coming up and being like, so does that also mean this, Nico? And... <laughs> and I would say, yes, you can't ruin the messages. I was already going to bring it. But thank you for trying to teach me next week's message, okay? All right, so I'm going to talk cars, not because I love cars, but because for 27 years, 27 years, they have been bashed into my brain, okay? And because Sean used them as illustrations last week, I thought I'd just flow with the same illustration. So when we first got married, this is totally, or dating, dating, side note, we would be driving through town, and I'd be like, oh, look, that's a pretty little car. And he's like, which one? And I'm like, um, the red one that's in the middle lane three, three back. And he's like, the Camaro? I don't know. It's red, and it's three back from the middle lane. And he's like, well, what brand is it? I'm like, it's red. It's the red brand. You know, like, that's, that was my understanding of vehicles, all right? And Sean has helped me for 27 years. And I know somewhat of the cars now. All right, so I am going to talk cars, but it's not because it's me. It's because it's been, like, smashed into me. And I, I felt like it was important for me to kind of just keep on with that smash, like, over, like, he's a car, literally. Okay, so this is, this is part of the message, so you need to know this. All right. For 27 years, we see cars from this position all the way through the beautiful brand new C8 Corvette that Sean loves, and Sean stops and drools over them. It doesn't matter if they look like this. He's like, wow, look at that car. That's a blah, 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 blah. And he tells me exactly what it is. And he begins to talk about it. Like, this is how beautiful. Can you just imagine what it would look like if they restored that? Man, somebody needs to grab that beautiful vehicle and they need to just start pouring their heart and soul into this. Paul's dying because it seems like it must be him, huh? And, and so he's, 
You know, and he's beginning, and I'm looking at this thing going, that is rusty. <laughs> and it has seen better days. It doesn't have an engine. And that looks like a tremendous amount of work, right? Like that looks like a tremendous amount of work. And Sean's like, but just look at it with me. Can you just see it? Can you see what it's going to look like when somebody who knows what they're doing is going to grab a hold of that car and they're going to just begin to pour their love into it? And they're going to, rut, like, they're going to polish off whatever. They're going to sand off all of the rust. And they're going to begin to restore that car into something extravagant. Every car he's ever seen that's somewhat cool, in his opinion, he begins to dream over them, right? But he's not a mechanic. That wasn't his gift. That wasn't what God's called him to do, right? But it's still part of who he is. And this is what we're talking about when we're talking about honor, all right? It's to look at somebody who we think looks like that rusty old car and to begin to go, wow, when the owner, when the manufacturer made that, he had dreams for that car. Look how incredible it can be. Look the beauty of what God, the master mechanic, is going to do when he grabs a hold of that car and he begins to just pour his love out on it. Right? That's how we're supposed to look at the people around us. And I would challenge you to say that's also how we're supposed to look at the people in the mirror. When we're standing in the mirror and we see this, we have to begin to understand what God says about us. Because the same vision that somebody like Sean can have over a hunk of metal that's junk, literally it's up on blocks, it has nothing, that looks like value at the moment, but there's beauty and there's potential and there's, there's something in it that just beckons you to make it restored and make it beautiful again. You guys have all seen those cars, and they look amazing when they're done, especially, I think Sean calls them retro mods or something, where they make them cooler than what they actually were in the beginning, right? Like, they have the big pipes that stick out, and Sean, like, can't walk past them. He literally has to stop and, like, drool for 10 minutes and talk to me about all kinds of stuff that I have no idea. I'm like, that's a really loud engine, and how do they see out of the steering wheel over it? He's like, they don't. It's so awesome. And I'm like, okay, right? Like, but this is how we're supposed to view ourselves when we look in the mirror is with not our eyes that see what we're seeing, but it's with the eyes of what Christ sees when he looks at us, right? When we were created, God, it says that God formed and fashioned us. Does that sound like somebody who just robotically put us together? There's all your parts, go. There's all your parts, go. He formed and he fashioned us. I, I, use, I use this. Eden always dies a little bit inside when I tell it. But when I was pregnant with Josiah, she was, she was young. And, um, and one day she was like, Mom, I'm praying that he comes out. And I'm like five months pregnant, right? She's like, I'm praying that you have him tomorrow. And I'm like, no, we don't pray that you have this baby tomorrow. She's like, why not? And I'm like, because he's still cooking, right? Like he's a fully formed baby, but he has things that God is still forming and fashioning in us in me, like he's in me, and God is still forming and fashioning him, and I explained that to Eden, she's like, ooh, fashion? 
I love fashion. Can I help? And I'm like, that's, but look, that's how God's doing. Like, he's literally creating us. He created us. Does that make sense? He had dreams and beauty and, and ideas over us as he was fashioning us in our mother's womb. And sometimes life strips that stuff off of us as we're born and as we're learning through life. It's just hard. And some of us, some of us got raised in stuff that instantly we come out of the womb and we start to look more like this every day. Right? Things happen to us. But then Jesus comes in and he restores us. He, he sets us free into his kingdom and he says, oh, I'm going to refashion you. I'm going to renovate you. I'm going to transform you. Would you just yield and let me do it? Would you let me love on you until I'm so done that you literally are a showstopper? Right? That's how he wants us to see her. He wants us to look at, begin to look in the mirror and to go, I see this, but that's not what you say I am. Would you show me a picture of what you're creating? Right? Does that make sense? You know, because I think it's really important that we understand this because when we're talking about honor, it has to start with us. Why? Well, transformed people, they then transform the community. But the first thing that has to happen is that they begin to get a revelation of their own identity problems, their own problems, their own things that need to be adjusted. Right? One of... Um, so everybody has a phone, all right? I'm pretty sure even if you have a house phone, all right? You can use your house phone if you were refusing to buy a cell phone. I don't know anybody in the room that doesn't have a cell phone, though, okay? What happens when it starts getting really laggy? We go insane, right? When the battery starts to go faster than it should. When we push on a button and the whole screen freezes and starts to, like, twitch, and you're like, oh, no, what just happened, Right? Do we, do we look at our phone and go, oh, oh, that's, that's good. I'm glad that my phone isn't responding like it should. It needed a little dose of humility. It was getting too prideful about working too good all the time. And so it needed a little dose of humility. Do we do, we do that? No, when our phone starts to kind of malfunction a little bit, it doesn't quite live up to the specs that the creator created it to live up to, right? I should be able to push the button and it works, right? It's not prideful when it works like that. Does that make sense? My phone isn't going, ha ha, I'm better than you. I'm actually working like, you're, like I'm supposed to and you're not, right? Like my phone isn't prideful. But when it's not working like it's supposed to, it's not, if it's not living up to the standards that the creator created it to live up to, we don't go, oh good, it's, it's humble. It's a humble phone. I have a humble phone. It knows that it can't be perfect or it's going to be prideful. No, we go, oh, there's something wrong. Right? Oh, there's something wrong. Something's starting to malfunction. Right? And if it malfunctions enough, most of these phones are ridiculously priced at about $1,000 a piece-ish, 600 to 1000 You know, what do we do? Some of us just go trade it in. Or we go and get it fixed, right? We recognize that there's a problem. We have a 278, it just rolled over to 278,000 mile 
Corolla. It's running strong even with its squeaks. All right? It squeals in the first few gears in the cold of winter. And, um, you know, but it's, it has a couple things. It's old and it has a rust spot and it runs really strong. We, we went to the mechanic the other day and he, we were like, can we, can we drive this to Colorado in the mountains? And he was like, oh, this car is going to go for another 100,000 miles. He's like, no problem, take it off. And so we took off with it, right? And it, it's a beautiful car, but it's not perfect. It has some problems. It's not a humble little car. It doesn't need those problems to make it humble, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, we sometimes go, oh, well, we need to have our flaws because those things keep us humble. Can I just suggest, like, and if I were walking in the way that God created me to be, then I'd probably become prideful. It's actually the opposite because our phones were meant to work like they were created, right? They actually should work just like they were created. They shouldn't be working and performing at a lower place. It should actually maintain itself. And here's the thing. When we can operate like God has created us to operate, we're actually walking in meekness and humility. Why would I say that? I would say that because I know who I am and I'm performing like I'm supposed to be. Does that make sense? I know who I am and I'm performing like God's created me to perform. I'm moving and acting and being like God has created me to move and act and be. I don't think I'm amazing because of it. I'm just becoming the person I was created to be. Just like my phone should operate like the phone it was created to be. I don't expect my phone to be an iPhone. It's an Android, thank God. (laughs) Right? I want it to operate like an Android because I bought an Android. I don't want it to try to operate like an iPhone because then it would make me all crazy. Because I'm expecting, does that make sense? I'm not trying to say that iPhone's about, I'm saying if I bought an Android, I want it to operate like an Android, right? If it tried to operate like an iPhone, there'd be a problem. You know, Paul's like, it'd be better. (laughs) All right, so... But here's the thing, like we have, we, we need to begin to understand that when we become the person that God's creating us to be, we're not prideful. The only reason pride comes in is when we begin to think that we are the ones who made ourselves like this. In the Old Testament, when, when God brought the Israelites out of, out of Egypt and he put them into the promised land, one of the things, the cautions that he told them, he said, be careful because when you become prosperous, when you begin to see all of the bounty that I give you, and when you begin to, to become wealthy as a nation, you'll be tempted to think that it was by your own hands that you created this wealth. That's pride. Pride isn't stepping into the person God's created me to be, understanding that I'm simply performing like my creator wanted me to. Pride comes in only when I begin to think that I did it myself right? I made myself good. I'm the one who put it all together. I'm the one who, by my own hands, pulled myself up by my bootstraps and became an amazing person. That's what pride looks like. Humility and meekness is understanding who I am and who God created me to be and stepping into that with authority, the authority that he's given me, right? That's what it looks like. And so 
when we think about honor and we understand that we have to honor other people because they were priceless, we also need to begin to stand in front of the mirror and we need to begin to see that the person that's looking back at us is no different than the person that Christ died for over there or over here or over here. Because when I can begin to actually see myself like God has seen me, like God has created me, like he has called me, I can then with wholeness call that out in other people. Not out of pride. Oh, look at me. I've just gotten so amazing. I can speak in front of people and not have a panic attack. Aren't I amazing? No, no, no. (laughs) No, no. Like you have to understand that if I can do it, if I can do it, oh man, if you're called to it, you can do it too. Not because I'm amazing. It's not because I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. No, it was because in fear and trembling, I said yes to the one who created me to do this. And I stepped into it, and he gave me grace to be able to walk in this path. And then that means that when people are scared around me and they're terrified to step into the thing God's called them, I can go, hey, if I can do this, through the grace of God, you can do this. Let me help you. Right? But it's understanding who I am that I can then pass that off to other people. You know, so as I'm being transformed, I'm then able to help transform communities because in the things that I've been transformed and I have the authority then to be able to release to the people around me, right? As I begin to understand who the Father God is in my life and who family is and what it looks like to walk into a community of believers and to thrive with them, I can then begin to release that out into the community around me. Does that make sense? So when we're talking about a culture of honor, we're not trying to say, oh, just, you know, like everybody's amazing and just, you know, no, no. We all recognize we're all being transformed. We're all in the middle of a renovation project. Some of us look like this. It does depend on the day. But some of us look like this. And that renovation project takes a little bit longer. It's a little bit messier. You know what? Every single detail, though, gets gone through in that one. Every single screw gets undone and polished and put back in and replaced. When we're less messy and we're a little bit more put together, right, every screw's not getting pulled apart, right? Every little nuance isn't always being fixed. But in a car like this, every ounce of it, every single millimeter is being touched, right? And when we're talking about by the, by the Holy Spirit, Father God is coming in and he is sanding off every single piece Sometimes that takes a little bit longer. But can you imagine what that thing's going to look like when it's beautifully done? Yeah, it's going to be gorgeous, right? You know, it's going to be gorgeous. And we think about that and we can begin to look in the mirror and go, I see that every time I look in the mirror, Jesus, thank you that you're doing something in me. All right now, where is this scriptural? That's a great question, right? We always want to make sure it goes back to the Bible. I would say this. It starts off with Jesus. When Jesus was born, we see a short little tiny passage. I think it's in, yeah, it's in Luke, where he's 12 years old, and they went to another town, and his parents lost God for days. They couldn't find their 12-year-old son. That's a problem, right? But when they finally found him, after searching for him, I can't imagine, as a mom, my 12-year-old, I can't imagine searching for him 
for days in a huge city that I don't know, trying to find my child, right? And they, they find him, and his response was, well, didn't you know that I needed to be in my father's house? You know, to which they're like, I, we are your mom and dad. What are you talking about? But he was in the temple, right? He knew by the time he was 12 his identity in God. He knew who he was, and he knew his commission. He also knew that it was not time for him to start walking in it. So he was paying attention to what the Father God was saying because he understood who he was. When he looked in the mirror, he understood who God had called him to be. Right? You see that identity in him from the time he was 12. You know, and I don't know about before that, but I do know. And then it talks about how he, how he grew in favor with God and man. So God, Jesus had to grow in favor with God. Isn't that kind of weird? It feels kind of weird that God had to grow in favor with God, and yet he took off his, his um, I don't know, to say it like he, he didn't consider him, his divinity. He didn't consider himself as somebody like God, like as God. He actually became a man. For us, he was always God. Understand, I'm not trying to preach weird heresy. Okay, I'm going to stop there. But it's not weird heresy. He was always God. But he didn't consider himself to be God when he was on the earth. He functioned as a full man. He emptied himself. That's the term. And I think it's out of Colossians, although I can't quote that. Philippians. Sean's correcting me up here. So it took Jesus recognizing his position to then be able to understand how to walk in his commission. What's a commission? If I'm commissioning somebody, I'm sending them out, right? But it took them having to under, it took Jesus understanding that. And then what you start to watch, if you look through the New Testament, it's so cool because you read all of these scripture verses and you're like, and if you have eyes to see it, what you see is he actually starts calling us by our position, which means who we are, and then he'll commission us in different passages. So he'll be, he'll talk about this and he'll be like, you're amazing and I want you to go do this, right? Like, I love you and now go tell the people that I love them, right? Like he's, he's constantly pouring out identity over them and then he's commissioning them in that to go out, you know? And so um, before we jump into that, I want to like, um, oh, I meant this part. Okay. Keeping that with that perspective. Okay. This is what God is doing. He's He's constantly positioning us. He's telling us our position in Christ. When I say that, that's what I mean. He's telling us who we are in Christ before he commissions us. One of the coolest things that I thought when we went, so we went to a car show recently. Again, I was very thankful it wasn't 175 degrees outside of Missouri. All right, we were at a car show. It was actually pleasant, and I was happy to be there because it was beautiful weather, and I got to watch people, which is fun. And so we're walking by all these cars, and, um, and what we started noticing, which was interesting, is there were a lot of cars there that were, I mean, they weren't hauled there on blocks, so they did have tires and an engine, right? They, they showed up, but they weren't perfect cars. There were a lot, they weren't all, it was a car show, but they weren't all 100% perfect show quality cars. But did you know that that didn't actually affect the heart of the owner of those vehicles. They had cars that were there that were pretty rough. They had rust all over them. They hadn't been painted and, and sanded down and all that stuff. But their engines had been redone or something. Like they had different parts of it being worked on. And, and there, the car was in progress. That owner 
would talk to you for four hours about his car. And he loved every single detail of it, all of the flaws, all of its imperfections, and all of its beauty. That's how God sees us. We're all this work in progress. We're all this half-rusty, half-pretty vehicle that's driving around. And God's like, yeah, you belong at a show. Did you know that? I want to show you off. Did you know that your imperfections, they're not going to stay that way because I'm going to continue to work on you. I'm going to continue to sand on you. I'm going to continue to polish you. And you're going to become shiny and beautiful one day. But in the middle of it, don't just don't hide yourself in the garage. Get out into the world and go to a show and become a showstopper and let me just talk about you. Right? Like, does that make sense? Like, God doesn't care that we look like this because he doesn't leave you there. He has vision and plans and destiny and you didn't mess it up by becoming this. Right? He didn't create you like this. We became like that because we live in a harsh world. That's what happens to cars, right? They live in a harsh environment and the sun and the wind and the snow and the salt from the roads and other cars and deer and animals all hurt the car, right? It's the, the kids. There's, there's a world that eats away at a car, right? And that's what happens to us is God didn't create us like that. It came out beautiful from the, from the factory. We came out perfect and he had plans and destinies and then the world ate it. Maybe we were abused and manipulated and hurt and children came in and like, you know, like crazy stuff happens and we become like this. And then all of a sudden he's like, no, no, no. I want you to go to a car show. And you're like, I'm not ready to go to a car show. I'm half rusty. And they're like, he's like, go anyway, because I want to just talk about you, right? We have to begin to understand that's how he sees us. He doesn't expect perfection. He wants to walk with us through into holiness, Okay, so here are the things I want you to keep in mind as we begin to kind of read through just a couple scriptures. He speaks to us, the way he speaks to us, um, this is under the position title. It says, he shows us honor and value, and then he calls us to display honor and value to others. He displays pure love over us, and then he calls us to love others. He first adopts us as his children, and then he asks us to serve, right? He first tells us who we are, and then he tells us how to bring others into what we've already received. So he's first positioning us. This is your position in me. This is who you are. This is the vision that I have for your remodel. This is how you're supposed to be transformed and renovated and renewed. And then I want you to begin to send that out into the world. I want you to begin to emulate that everywhere you go. You understand that this is who I'm creating, and you now go do it here, right? It's never you need to become perfect before you go into the world. It's as you, well, like Sean had said a couple years ago, it's such a great word. You get healed as you go, right? We get healed as we go. We go to shows, and we're still a little bit of a mess, and the father comes, and he's like, you're amazing, and you're like, yeah, I got some broken spots. He's like, yeah, yeah, we're going to get those fixed. Don't worry about those. Just continue to submit your life to me, and I'll continue to polish you, right? But as we're out in the world, we're also getting healed, you know, and so let's look at some of these scriptures. What I want you guys to focus on is this. I've highlighted the places where he's positioning us. These are the things that he's called us to be. He's talking to us about 
who we are, where we've been positioned, right? Our value, the way that God loves us. And then you, I want you to look at the commissioning. What does he tell us to do with it? Okay, because it's really fascinating. We're going to start off in John 15. And it says, Greater love has no one than this, than one lay down his life for his friends. So then he says to, to them, You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I have, um, that I have heard from my father. I have made no to you. Pause here. Don't keep reading. Don't cheat. Go back and look. So God starts off in saying, okay, let me just give you a baseline of truth. Greater love has no man than this, than somebody who lays down their life for their friends. Obviously, Jesus is about ready to do that, right? He's about ready to lay down his life for his friends. And then he positions us, and he says, you are my friends. You are my friends. Do you see that? Like, he just told you something that's huge. Because when I look in the mirror, sometimes I don't feel like I'm God's friend. I see a really broken person, and God actually says, you're my friend. That's your position. You're, you're no longer a slave. Do you see that? He's saying, this isn't your position. Your position isn't enslavement. You're not a slave. You're now my friend. Right? That's my position in Christ is as his friend. That's huge. Can you imagine? Like, I'm a friend of God. We have a song that says that, right? Like, that revelation, though, like, if you just took time and just studied on that revelation alone, what does it look like to be a friend of God? Well, he tells you. The slave doesn't know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all the things I have heard from my father I have made known to you. So that means he's talking to me like a friend. If I'm a friend of God, then he's actually talking to me like a friend. He's not just ordering me around like a little subject right? I'm actually stepped into a different position in Christ, and I've become his friend. And then what does that look like? Then we go into the world, and we see pre-Christians, and we have a revelation for them. Did you know that? Did you know that God wants to be your friend? Did you know that he died because he loves you, because he wants, because he loved you so much he died for you, because he views you as a friend? He wants you to step into a friendship relationship with him, we have a revelation to then share with the world because we understand who we are. Does that make sense? This is how it needs to look. Okay, then you go on. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. This I command you that you love one another. Okay, so go back in there. What else did he, how did he position us? He chose us and then he appointed you right? So my position is now a friend of God who hears his voice and he, he actually tells me things that he wants me to know, right? And then he chose me. That's a big deal. How many of us have ever felt like we've never been chosen by anybody? Yeah? You know, we, we recognize that in our heart. Even if we know that we've technically been chosen by people, we don't necessarily feel it. We were chosen by God. And then he didn't just choose us, even when we looked, I think Sean calls him an old jalopy, like an old jalopy, like a broken down car, he still appointed us. Did you notice he didn't say, I chose you, made you perfect, and once you were perfect, I then appointed you? He didn't add that in there. He said, I chose you, and I appointed you. 
I actually positioned you into a place where I'm saying you're my friend and I love you and I'm going to tell you secrets that I need you to know and I choose you and I'm appointing you to go do something. I'm giving you something to do, right? That's my position. I now am a friend of God who has a task. I get to do something with him because he's chosen me, me for something special, for a task that God himself has placed into my hands. That's a big deal, you know? And then what's that appointed? He's appointed us that we would go and bear fruit and that our fruit would remain so that whatever we ask of the Father in my name, he may give to us. This I command you, love one another. So he's calling us his friend. He's telling us his secrets and what he's planning to do and all of his plans. He's choosing us and he's appointing us to go and love. Do you see that? To go and love, right? So he's showing us love, right? He's showing us what it looks like. He's calling us into identity. He's telling us, I love you so much. I chose you and I appointed you and I've called you my friend and I'm not, you're not a slave. You're not just some minion that I've created as a robot to go out and do things, but I've literally called you in to fellowship with me and I'm going to talk to you about secrets. Now go out and love. With the same love I've given you, go love the world, right? Do you see that? There's an appointment, there's a positioning that he always does and oftentimes it's layered throughout his entire message. As he's commissioning us, he's also continually telling us who we are. Let's look at one more because these are long verses, and I'm going to kill you if I tried to read all of them that I wrote out. Okay? The next one's out of Colossians 3, and I'm going to do it in little sections. 3, 1 through 5. I, you're lucky I did not give you the whole chapter because it's a great chapter. Therefore, if you've been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above not on the things that are on the earth, you have, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Okay? Look at this. We have been positioned. Where? It's the top line. It's underlined and bolded. What is the answer? With Christ. So, so, okay, go back to John for a second. You don't, don't go back there on the screen. Just listen for a second. I have, like, God loved me, and he's chosen me as a friend, and he's appointed me. And then he's seated me, but raised me up with Christ. Okay? We're, and then it says, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So he's raised me up with Christ, who's literally right next to Father God. All right? So now, now my position has just been elevated, Right? We see that, like, now I've, I've been positioned, now I'm not just in Jesus, now I'm like with the Father God, and, and then he says, you died, so that's a position, right? Death is a position, so I died, my old man died, and your life is now hidden with God, with Christ in God. So not only am I positioned up with God, with Christ, right? And I've been called and chosen and loved and valued and appointed and, right, like all of those things. Now my life is also hidden in with God, with Christ in God. So I'm hidden in there. What safer place does a little baby have than tucked inside of his father's arms? Nobody's going to get that baby from him, right? Do you guys see how this is so important for us to understand? 
You know, we're not just being commissioned. So many of us read the Bible and we're like, oh, God wants me to be perfect. God wants me to stop doing all these things. No, no. When we understand who we are, those things stop. So you see that. Like, so your, your life is hidden with Christ in God, Christ, who now is our life. All right? So now I'm in Christ, inside of him. He's now become my life, right? And so now it's like, now get rid of all this junk. All right? Consider you died, remember? You, your old man died. So make sure you continue to think to yourself, hey, all of those things, those are dead. Those things died with you. You died with Christ and so did all of those sins. Don't bring them back up. Don't try to raise them from the dead because you're hidden in Christ. And when you understand that, can, can God walk in immorality? Of course not. God doesn't walk in immorality. And we're hidden with him in God, like we're in him. How could we ever begin to try to walk in immorality? Do you see how dirty that is? We would defile the presence of God, right? So it calls us into this place of holiness because we understand who we are, right? But we also understand that as we step into that place and understand who we are, we then begin to come alive and we look at people who are pre-Christians who are dying and we go, oh, God has life for you. He has something better for you. And I love you too much to stay there because I know what your life could look like because I can see that even though you're sitting on you know, the, the little bricks and you don't have any tires and wheels and an engine and you're rusty, I can see what God has called you to be and it's not that. That looks like death and decay and it smells like death and decay, right? And God wants you to come fully alive and he wants you to be chosen and valued and special and he wants you to have a special task that he gives you, right? Do you see how that begins to shape as we understand who we are? Okay, let's move on to Colossians 3, 8 through 12. But now you also put them all aside, all anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Hebrew. All right, I'm going to skip to 12. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Do you see that we, woven through all of these scriptures is positioning? He's constantly talking to us about our position. This is who you are. You're seated with Christ in heavenly places. So do these things. The next one is here, right? You laid aside the old self. Remember, you died. Okay, I'm going to remind you of your position of death. That happened. Okay, now keep it dead, right? Keep the old man dead, right? That's what he's saying over and over in the scripture verse. But then he goes on and he says, Put on the new self. You've, you have put on the new, <clears throat> the new self. All right? So he's reminding us. The old man died. You've put on the new self. Who is what? With Christ in God. Okay? And you're being renewed according to the image of the one who created him. Do you see that? Like, that's huge. You're being renewed according to the image of God. Who made us? God made us. So we're being renewed. So the new man has been put on us, and now we're being renewed. It's renovations. We're being renovated into the image of God. We're never going to be God. Be clear about that. But we're being renewed into his image. We're becoming like him 
as we stay in the place and in the positions that he's called us to stay in, right? So then he goes on, he's like, okay, there's no difference between anybody. Everybody is level at the cross. And then he goes on, he says, for those who have, like, you have been chosen of God. Again, you're chosen? He says it again. So Jesus himself says that we've been chosen. And now Paul is reiterating, we've been chosen. And then he calls us holy. And then he calls us beloved. We are actually not just a friend of God. He loves us. We're chosen and we've become holy because we've put on the new self because we're staying in God. This is what I need to see when I look in the mirror. When I look in the mirror, I need to see my value. My value isn't a rust bucket with no wheels and no engine. My value is I've been chosen. I am holy. I am loved. I have been positioned into unity with Father God and I'm hidden with him and then he's given me a special task to take to the nations, to the world around me, because I know who I am. When I look in the mirror, I need to see that. That's the truth, right? He is changing me from the inside out, and that has to come out of us. We have to begin to understand that. We have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, and then he commissions us. Because you've been chosen of God, you're holy, you're beloved, now commissioning. Go back, go back, go back. I can't read it. There we go. You're going to now put on a heart of compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. That's honor, people. That's honor. That's walking in a culture of honor to those around us because all of those things we do with other people, right? And ourselves, really. I need compassion for myself. I need kindness for myself. I need my own humility for myself, I need gentleness for myself, and I need patience for myself, right? But I also have to give it to those around me, okay? So from this position of being chosen, holy, and beloved, I then walk into the fruit of the Spirit, right? And I begin to treat other people with honor and value around me because I understand that that's who God's called me to be, and I understand who I am in him. When I look in the mirror, I'm beginning to see him reflected. Okay, now let's go to the last one. It continues straight on. So it ends, with, it ends with putting on kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And then it goes on. It says, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone. Just as the Lord forgave you, which I didn't highlight, but that is a position, forgiven, so also should you. Did you hear that? Your position is also forgiven. Let me say that again. Your position in Christ is forgiven. 100% forgiven. I think you guys need to sit on that for a second. Your position in Christ, wrapped up in God, inside Father God, is forgiven. Did you know that he doesn't go, oh, not that person. I didn't realize they were going to be a mess. He actually, he, for, he forgave us, right? So our position in Christ is forgiven. That's a huge revelation. Look at that. So that's a position. God forgave you. Here's the commission. So also should you. Okay? Beyond all these things, put on love. Because you're beloved. 
Now you put on love. See the commissioning? Your position is beloved. Now you put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ which richly dwell within you, and with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him, to God the Father. Why did I put all that in there? Because that's all a commission. That's a commission of honor. That's a commission of honor. That's a commission of recognizing that every single person we encounter, whether we think that they were worthy of the precious blood of Jesus or not, we're called to walk in this. We're called to understand who we are and to honor those people with this and to honor ourselves with the same. Right? Did you know it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart? That's a command. It's not a pray, pray in desperation for God's peace to hit you. It actually says from a position of understanding who we are in Christ, allow his peace to reign over your life. Because when I'm positioned well, those things have the ability to work within me. It's when I think that I'm trying to get to it, that I'm striving for peace and I'll never find it. It's a position. So in the Bible, like when you start reading the New Testament, I challenge you, first of all, I challenge you to read your Bible. Please, every day, open your word. Dig into it. It is your life. It's your bread. It's what you need. Okay, we cannot be anorexic Christians eating once a week and only four verses a week, right? We have to read the word of God. But when you're reading the word of God, I want you to also begin to look through it slowly and go, what position are you calling me into today? When I'm reading through this text in John, you told the disciples that you loved them. Does that mean you love me? Right? Did you really choose me? Did you really commission me before I was perfect to go out into the world and to do things? Yeah, he did, right? So it's as we're being transformed that we then begin to, with the understanding of who we are in Christ, that we begin to then reach out to the community around us and we begin to pour that into them as well. We don't wait until we're the perfect model at the car show who's winning all the prizes to begin to reach out into our community, right? All of us are these beautiful renovations, we're all being renovated. All of us have some rust. All of us have some holes. All of us have some broken spots that God's going, oh yeah, I can fix that. I can fix that. You know, and he's, and he's working on us. And so when we begin to stand in front of the mirror, if you struggle with this message, write those scriptures down. Write the positions down on your mirror so that when you're looking at yourself, you're looking at it through his words. Okay, I'm serious. Cover the place that you would stare at your face and you would hate any parts of your body that you look at and go, he chose me. He called me. He called me his beloved. I'm his friend. I've been appointed for a task. I've been anointed for something. He's commissioned me because he loves me, right? And begin to just recite that out. And when you stare at yourself, go, thank you, Jesus, for this beautiful renovation project that you're doing. And I submit myself fully into you because as I can begin to honor who God's doing, what God's doing in me, 
I can then see what he's doing in others easier. Right? If I know that I was created to walk in the original design of the creator, right? And I should function like I was created to function. As I move into that functionality and I begin to get all the bugs worked out of my system, right? I begin to function like I'm supposed to and I'm not stepping into pride thinking that I'm doing it. I'm submitting myself to understanding that he has created me for a very specific purpose and he's creating somebody beautiful and while he's working on me, I'm still driving out of my garage and I'm going into the world, right? Does that make sense? Like we have to begin to understand what he's doing in us, who we are, how he's calling us, what he's positioning, what he's creating in us, and what he's creating us to be. And as that's happening and that transformation's happening, we're also going out and we're bringing the transformations that we were getting and we're putting it into the soil of the ground of the people out there. Okay? All right, you're staring at me like I'm crazy, so I'm going to close in prayer. Jesus. Yeah, Jesus, we just thank you. We thank you that when we read through John and as you're talking to the disciples right before you left the earth, God, you're sharing the most important things in your heart right before you died, God, that you began to call us into identity. I don't call you slaves. I call you friends because I love you and I'm uniting myself. And if you're in me, then you're in the Father and we're one together and I'm sending you the Holy Spirit to dwell within you. God, that we've become sanctuaries of the Most High. That you've called us holy and beloved. God, me, you've called me that. Jesus, I just can't even fathom it some days when I feel so less than holy. So Jesus, would you begin to shift? Would you break off the scales from my eyes when I look in the mirror and I see broken and dysfunction? God, would you begin to show me what you're creating? Would you begin to let me rejoice in the little steps? Every screw that gets rust peeled off of it and it's shined up to new again. God, would you let me rejoice in every single inch that becomes restored, God? That I wouldn't get so just um, caught on the broken pieces that haven't been done, but that you let me rejoice in the small in the daily new things that you're doing. Jesus, we just, yeah, would you begin to change the way that we see ourselves, God, we don't want to dishonor you by dishonoring the creation you've made us to be. And every time we hate ourselves, God, we recognize, I just say, yeah, would you forgive me for dishonoring you? God, because you didn't create junk. And if I think of myself like that, then I'm dishonoring you. Jesus, would you forgive me? Would you forgive me for the times that I've hated myself or I've hated where I'm at and I've counted myself unworthy of your love, Jesus? Because you don't view me like that. You view me with hope and with a future. Yeah, would you wash my eyes clean to be able to see the joy and the beauty that's set before me and what you're creating and turning me into? And would you give me eyes to see how I can take the little truths that I've learned and to plant it into the ground of the community around us so that we can also see them be transformed into your likeness. In Jesus' name.
Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you would like to contact us or would like more information about our church or additional podcasts or resources, please visit us online at harvestwarrensburg.com. We hope to see you soon.